please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just a reminder, we're in the middle of a series called The, the Promise of the Gospel, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. We've been going through the Old Testament and, and looking at some portions of Scripture that deal with Christ and, and the gospel, the, the work, the ministry of Christ in the Old Testament. And we're taking a break from that last week and this Sunday to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we encounter the story of Paul's visit among the Thessalonians, his visit in Thessalonica. And we're, we're seeing as this week and, and last week as part of our missions conference, we're seeing what genuine gospel proclamation looks like. Uh, we've seen that there are types of gospel proclamations that are not genuine, that are not authentic, that are not biblical. But here, as we see Paul defending his ministry in Thessalonica, we see what genuine, authentic, biblical gospel proclamation looks like. So, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, looking at this, this portion of Scripture. We began last week. We're going to, to finish it. We're not going to look at all of the, the verses in as much depth, but we're going to be able to, to touch on much of it here. So if you're able to, uh, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and days that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God, and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly 
and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You may be seated. May we be encouraged through the words of God, through a Paul this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up the people that you have entrusted to our church to proclaim to you, to proclaim for you, to proclaim to the world the good news of your son Jesus. We think of those who've shared with us this morning, John and Esther and Sherry and Amanda. We, we thank you for each of, of them and the, the way that you've equipped them to, to do the work you've called them to do and help our church to be faithful in supporting them and in supporting others. We think of the others we've heard from over the, this past week and are excited for the opportunity to continue to, to uh, know what you're doing in their lives and that we get to be a part of it. And we pray for our own ministries of, of gospel proclamation that you would help us to be faithful in doing the things you've called us to do through the working of your spirit in our lives. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're seeing what genuine gospel proclamation ministry looks like. What it looks like to be a faithful proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that these things, these characteristics of a genuine gospel proclaimer, are, are things that do not come naturally. There are many who engage in gospel proclamation ministry for, for wrong motives, for wrong reasons, and, and wrong ways. The world of fiction is full of examples of, of men and women who engage in pastoral or evangelistic ministry for, for wrong reasons, for hypocritical reasons. In the late 1920s, Sinclair Lewis published a book called Elmer Gantry, and the main character, Elmer, was a hypocritical evangelist and pastor. He proclaimed that he was trying to share the good news of Jesus, but in reality he was in it for the fame, for the prestige, for the money. He was a hypocrite. He was a gambler, a womanizer, an alcoholic, but all in the guise of trying to, to uh, be a proclaimer of the gospel. And uh, Elmer Gantry scandalized America in the late 1920s. Uh, unfortunately, so many of the characteristics of Elmer Gantry are, are not just fictitious. As we think about the world in which we live in today, we see real-life examples of Elmer Gantries. I was reading a report just on Friday about a celebrity who is in prison right now who claims to have found the Lord Jesus, and of course we would hope that is, is true, but at the same time, he's kind of there are rumors that he's going to begin, once he's released from prison, <laughs> begin a, an evangelistic crusade and, you know, be going different places and, and uh, you know, looks like making a lot of money off of his conversion. And I don't know the state of his heart or, or what his intentions are, but I, I know that the world looks at that, I think, with a rightly skeptical eye because there are so many who stand to gain financially from the proclamation of the gospel. So many who are engaged in gospel proclamation ministry for the wrong reasons. And God in his word tells us 
to watch out, to be careful, to examine the ministries of those who would claim to be proclaimers of the gospel. Now, why would God, in his word, tell us to be careful? Why would he tell us to examine the motives of those, examine the actions of those who engage in in, in gospel-proclaiming ministries, to examine mission agencies and churches and why wouldn't he just say, hey, you know what, everybody just kind of get along and don't worry about things. Why would he call us to carefully examine our ministries and other ministries? I, I think there's a, a few reasons. One reason that I believe God has us do so is that he would not have, uh, he would not desire for us to be supporting ministries that are going to ultimately be exposed as, as hypocritical. Someday, a self-seeking ministry, a self-seeking minister is going to be exposed for what, what they are, and I, I think God desires for his people not to have any part in supporting those types of ministries. And, and certainly, as I think about how God sometimes calls people out of Bethany Community Church into other places, other locations, it would really sadden me if, if people left our church and went to, to other places where the name of Christ wasn't being exalted and, and supported those types of gospel proclamation ministries. That would make me very sad, and I trust you as well. So that's one reason. Another reason, and this is a little bit more difficult to swallow, perhaps. But another reason that, that I think God calls us to examine what, what uh, inauthentic gospel proclamation ministry looks like, another reason is because I think God wants us to examine ourselves and to make sure that we don't become inauthentic proclaimers of the gospel. You say, Daniel, that's, that's ridiculous. I would never become like one of those TV evangelists. I, I would never get into ministry or, or try, to, try to proclaim the gospel for money. And, and, and I would just tell you, be careful. Watch your heart. There are many ways to gain inappropriately from the gospel. There are many wrong motives we can have as we engage in ministry. I think about the book of Galatians, and what do we see in Galatians? We see that, that Peter is confronted by Paul. The apostle Peter is con confronted by the apostle Paul as, as one who's inauthentic in his, in his ministry and, and, and not being faithful to the gospel proclamation that he's been called to. Barnabas is called out by Paul. And so I, I would tell you, you know, if you're better than Peter and Barnabas, then I guess you have nothing to worry about. But if you're like me and not, then you do have something to be concerned about. And I'll tell you, as I've been looking at these verses this past week and past few weeks and just thinking about how they apply in my own life, I would tell you there have been times I have been guilty of not proclaiming the gospel in certain circumstances the way that I should, for the right reasons, the right motivations. It is certainly a danger I need to deal with in my own heart, and I trust the same is true for you as well. What we've seen beginning last week about genuine gospel proclamation is this. Genuine gospel proclamation occurs when I lay down my very life for the lost as I proclaim to them the good news of Jesus Christ. Genuine, authentic, 
biblical gospel proclamation takes place when I lovingly lay down my very life for the lost as I proclaim to them the good news of Jesus. As, as we saw last week, gospel proclamation doesn't just mean living a nice life. I don't just live a, a good life and say, well, people know that I'm a Christian and so I'm going to help old ladies cross the street and I'm going to uh, hand out food to people and I'm going to mow my lawn on time and I'm just going to live a nice moral lifestyle and everyone can kind of look at what a moral guy, nice guy Daniel is and, and I'm proclaiming the gospel. As we saw last week, there's more to gospel proclamation than just simply doing nice things. There must be a content to our message. We need to explain to people the good news of Jesus Christ, that they're sinners and the penalty for sin is death, hell, eternal separation from God, and, and yet God loved us so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to take our place, and now we can receive his righteousness by faith in him alone. We can't just live a good life. We have to proclaim the truth. And yet what we also saw last week is it's not enough just to simply proclaim a couple of doctrinal truths about God. It's not enough even to proclaim the very precious truths of the gospel. That's not the fullness of gospel proclamation that we see in Scripture. The fullness of gospel proclamation in Scripture includes laying down our lives for others. We're not just throwing them some truth. We're getting engaged in their life and loving them and caring for them as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Genuine gospel proclamation, authentic, biblical gospel proclamation takes place as I lay down my very life for those whom I love as I tell them the good news of Jesus. And that is a responsibility that every person in here who would claim to be a Christ follower has. Every single one of us in this room has the responsibility before God to be a gospel proclaimer, one who is laying down our lives for those whom we love as we proclaim to them the good news of Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we go through the message this morning. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, remember what's happened is, is Paul has been criticized. His ministry has been criticized in order to defend his ministry, not for his own glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Paul defends the ministry. And he begins to tell people what his ministry was not and what it is. He says, our ministry was not that, it was this. Our ministry was not that, it was this. And he does that about five times here. And this morning, we're going to look at the, the third and the fourth thing he said in, in depth. And then we're going to look at the fifth thing very very briefly. But uh, remember the first two things we saw as he described what his ministry was not and what it is. The first thing he said is genuine gospel proclamation, number one, is not empty but bold. It's not empty but bold. And Paul's critics said that he came and he had this purposeless message. And Paul says, no, 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 no. My message was not empty. I didn't come to you without purpose. I came to you with boldness. And as he says that his ministry was bold, he doesn't mean argumentative. He doesn't mean arrogant. He doesn't mean he was a big jerk to them and got in their faces. But what it means that he was clear in the gospel even in the midst of conflict. As people persecuted him, because he held the gospel so dear, he was clear. His message was not empty, it was bold. The second thing we saw about genuine gospel proclamation, as we looked at this passage last week, 
in verses 3 and 4, we saw that genuine gospel proclamation is not careless, but faithful. Paul says here in verses 3 and 4, he gives the imagery of a steward, and he says, look, I I didn't come like some careless steward. I, I didn't give a message to you that was in error, its source was pure. I didn't come with impure motives. My motives were pure, and I, I didn't come with an attempt to de- deceive. My, my methods were pure. My, my ministry wasn't that. It wasn't like some careless steward that doesn't care about the message. But he says in verse 4, I, I, I knew that I was approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, and that's how I spoke, not to please men, but to please God. And that is a mark of every authentic proclaimer of the gospel. Their goal is not to please men, but to please God. Well, that brings us to the third characteristic that I want us to look at. Third characteristic of genuine gospel proclamation is that genuine gospel proclamation is not self-serving, but sacrificial. Okay? Genuine gospel proclamation is not self-serving. It's not that, Paul says, but it's sacrificial. What we're going to see as we look at verses 5 through 8 is that there's a a dominant theme to Paul's ministry. That's the theme of, of love. And all biblical love manifests itself by sacrificial behavior. And Paul is going to say, because I loved you so much, I wasn't seeking my own, but I was sacrificial. Look at how he describes what his ministry is not in verses 5 and 6. And as you look at these verses, you're going to see that he gives three characteristics of a self-serving ministry. Okay, look at this very carefully with me. The first characteristic of a self-serving ministry that we see in verse 5 is a a ministry that, that comes with flattery. He says, we never came with words of flattery, as you know. Now, now, flattery is something that we engage in in order to ingratiate ourselves to someone else. You know, I want uh, Mike to like me, and so I, I tell him how nice he's looking. I mean, you do look nice this morning, Mike. But um, I, I do it in a flattering way. I'm, I'm, I'm complimenting. I, I want people to, to like me, and so I, I just constantly am telling them things about themselves to, to make them think highly of me. And a person who's a flatterer, Scripture tells us, is a liar. The book of Job, we read in verse 21 of chapter 32, I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person. Psalm 5, 9, the psalmist says there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Psalm 12, 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. There's this, this, this lying lips, they, they flatter, they say nice things in order to, to get people to think well of them. There's this uh, character in Pride and Prejudice, the, the buffoon clergyman, Mr. Collins, and there's this, this scene in the novel where Mr. Collins is sitting at dinner table, and just to kind of illustrate just how ridiculous his flattery is. He he says, um, as he's having dinner, he says, in all my years, I I don't recall having seen such an exemplary vegetable. (laughs) When I think of, when someone says kind of a ridiculous compliment, and I I hear, I think, that's an exemplary vegetable. (laughs) You know, it's just silliness, right? Paul says, "Uh, guys, we all know I'm not a flatterer, right? <laughs> and I can just imagine the people in Thessalonica hearing that letter read 
and hearing Paul say, now, you guys know I'm not a flatterer, and, you know, and them kind of doing this flashback. Yeah, yeah, that guy is not a flatterer. I mean, you think about the things Paul tells people. In his letters, we see examples of, of, of things that he, he says hard things. You know, Romans 1, he talks about how he's not ashamed of the gospel. In the next two chapters, he just, everybody's a sinner, and he, he just lets them have it. First Corinthians 1, he talks about, hey, hey, you guys remember, uh, you guys weren't that smart, and you weren't that rich, and you weren't that noble. You know, he just tells them. Ephesians 2, he talks about, you know, you guys were a bunch of dead corpses before the gospel. Paul's Paul's besetting sin doesn't seem to be flattery, right? Now, he's gentle sometimes, more gentle in person sometimes, he says, than in letters. But I think we still could say, yeah, Paul was not a flatterer. I think it's kind of funny where he says, you know, as you know, I didn't come with words of flattery. And they remember the gospel, like, yeah, yeah, flattery is not Paul's issue. So we think about a, a church, or we think about this in terms of a there's so many applications of these verses. I'm trying to touch on a couple. But as we think about this as, as individuals and our, our gospel proclamation, we, we come into the church and our, our goal isn't to engage in flattery as we, we engage the world. Our, our goal isn't to, to get them to like us and to, to, to say things about them that aren't true in order to ingratiate ourselves to them. As leaders in a church or in a ministry or missionaries, our goal isn't to get people to like us because we tell them things about themselves that aren't true. That's not genuine gospel proclamation, is it? Paul says that a second characteristic of an inauthentic ministry, a self-serving ministry, would be this. He says, you also know, you also know, verse 5, it wasn't just, we didn't come with flattery. He says, you also know that we didn't come with a pre, or he says, we, we also didn't come with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We didn't come with a pretext for greed. God is witness. That's another thing that our ministry was not. I probably uh, don't need to mention again my, my hatred for the false gospels that come masquerading as the gospel, but really are just means of enriching the people who are bringing the message. I'll do it again anyway. I hate it. I hate it. I don't. I'm not saying I hate the people. I'm saying I, I hate the methodology. There's so many reasons to, to, to be very concerned about this, but, but, but the, the reason that's at the, the center of my heart is, is because it, it betrays the message of the gospel and it denigrates the glory of God. A missions ministry, a, a church, an individual is going to have if they're interested in genuinely proclaiming the gospel, is going to have means in place to, to protect them, to, to make sure that, that, that no one can accuse them of, of being greedy as they engage in ministry. A, a pastor who engages in gospel proclamation ministry and is fortunate enough and blessed enough to be in a church that, that supports him financially as he engages in this ministry needs to have strong leaders around him that can say, look, Here's what, what we believe a, a good compensation package for, is for you as, as you try to live life, and, and we've asked you to be entrusted with the gospel, and, but we want to take care of you and we want to take care of your family. But at the same time, we're, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you're taken care of, but at the same time, we're going to make sure that you're not becoming rich off the gospel. Not because we don't like you, but because we want to protect the gospel. A, a church is going to have uh, people who are outside the, the elder board that can come and can look at the finances and, and, and 
hold leadership accountable to make sure all the money's where it's supposed to be. A church that's, that's practicing this principle is going to be, and avoiding looking greedy, is going to have very open communication with its, its family and say, look, there are questions that people want to ask. Come, please ask them. We, we want to be accountable. We want, we want this because, not, not because we want it to look good and look how great we are and, and we're so financially accountable and aren't we wonderful, but no, no, no. We don't want to betray the gospel. We don't want to make God look bad by our behavior. Paul says, my ministry wasn't self-serving. You know I wasn't a big flatterer. You know, God knows that I didn't come for greedy reasons. And third thing we see here in verse 6, he says, you also know that we didn't seek glory from people whether you guys or others, even though we were apostles, we could have. This is a hard one for me. Honestly. I, I mean, I, I feel like I can say, yeah, I'm not a flatterer. I'm, I'm not in this for financial gain. I feel like I can say that. And again, I need to watch my heart in those areas, of course. But I feel pretty comfortable in those. I, I don't... I don't feel as convicted as I do when I come to verse 6 and I just go, oh. Because catch this. Not all inappropriate gain from the gospel is financial. Right? Not all inappropriate gain from gospel ministry comes in the form of money. can also come from seeking prestige or fame or the accolades of, of others. Paul, is, as he's saying here, is look, look, I wasn't self-serving. I didn't engage in this ministry for any wrong reasons. I didn't come to, to make you think good about me by flattering you. I didn't come to make money off you. And I also didn't come to, to seek to seek glory from you or others. And, and brothers and sisters in Christ, I think one of the major problems facing the evangelical church today is the celebrity culture, right? It permeates from, from, from the, the big names in evangelical Christianity all the way down into to the decisions that, that individual churches make. It's this, this weird, weird celebrity culture that exists in the church is, as we as leaders, as individuals in the churches, as, as people that are really big names, seek self-exaltation. Very few people are immune from the lure that, that comes from inappropriate gain from gospel ministry. I was talking to, to someone recently when they're, they're, they're talking about a book that they're going to publish and they're talking about all these, these people. They were so desperately trying to get to endorse their book. And they mentioned one name. And I'm like, why in the world, why in the world are you trying to get that person to endorse your book? That person believes things that are very contrary to what you believe about the purpose of life. And that, that per, what, what in the world are you thinking? The person said, well, they're a name. I said, do you, do you, do you see how sick this is? How sick this whole celebrity culture and endorsers and all this. I mean, it's, it's problematic, I think. By contrast, 
I remember back to when I was, at, uh, I was a new student at Moody uh, Bible Institute going to get my MDiv on my first day of class, and I'm kind of scared, this little boy in Chicago. And I'm, I go and I sit down in the cafeteria be- before any of the classes begun, and, and I, I sit down by myself at the table, and this, this guy sits down next to me. And uh, he's wearing a nice suit, and he just begins asking me questions about myself. And I was just so impressed that a person would come and sit down to a guy sitting by and ask him all these questions. And just uh, just one of the most gracious people I'd ever met. And he, I said, yeah, what's your name? Or we introduced himself. I said, I was Daniel. He goes, my name's Joe. And goes on and talks to myself. Well, he gets up and leaves after, and a couple people come and sit down with me. And they said, you, wow, do you know him? I said, no. Who is that guy? He goes, that's that's the president of the, of the seminary. That's Joe Stoll. Oh, yeah, no, I know him. Yeah, I know him. Yeah. <laughs> had no clue, you know. Had no clue that I just sat down and, and had lunch with the president of the seminary. That's the type of ministry that, that I think a, a person needs to have. We're not in it for the fame. We're not in it to, 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 to increase our name, our own recognition. A person who's, who's, uh, who's engaged in those things is not engaging in, in a sacrificial ministry, but a self-serving ministry. And, and a self-serving uh, Christianity is to be avoided. And, and I think what we have to do is we have to, as, as leaders, be saying constantly, okay, I'm going to raise up, not myself, but as leaders, I'm gonna, we're going to constantly decrease ourselves. We're going to raise up other leaders for churches. And, and we're not going to exalt ourselves. We're going to constantly decrease ourselves. And, and here's the tricky part, we're not going to congratulate ourselves for doing so. <laughs> it's hard. It's tricky. It's constant heart evaluation, constant humbling ourselves by God's grace. Self-serving individuals come into the church and they say, okay, I want to know what this church is going to do for me, and I'm going to just sit down, and I want other people to notice me, and I want the ministries to revolve around me and and how they're going to protect me, and if I get involved in ministry, I want to know how I'm going to be able to protect my power and all these sorts of things. That's not what Paul's ministry is about. That's not authentic Gospel proclamation ministry, authentic gospel proclamation is not self-serving, but sacrificial. Look what he says next in verses 7 and 8. He says, we were gentle among you. Some have said the picture here is of of a picture of of a newborn baby. We were like an infant among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And so what is genuine gospel proclamation ministry? Well, it's loving, it's sacrificial. First of all, there's this picture of gentleness, and I think gentleness is something that we so often fail to associate with genuine gospel proclamation ministry, but it's essential. Remember Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. One of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness in Galatians 5. Ephesians 4 tells us gentleness is to characterize our relationships with one another. The man of God in 1 Timothy 6.11 is to flee immorality but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and what? Gentleness. It's what the man of God pursues. It's what genuine gospel proclamation is characterized by. Gentleness. My brother uh, is seven years younger than me, and uh, I wish you were closer so I could make fun of him more often as an older brother. He just had his, his, his first child, 
And those of you maybe who, who don't have children, you've seen this. You, you've seen that uh, people with, with children are kind of crazy. And the craziest of all people with children are, are people, and I apologize if you fall into this category, but you kind of know it's true. The people with their first child are the craziest. Uh, my brother, uh, you know, I'll talk to him on the phone, and, you know, he'll, he'll say something like, oh, got to go, the baby's just sneezed or something, and, you know, check on it. Or you know, I know in the night he's, like, getting up and checking on this kid constantly. And, you know, with four kids, um, you know, I'll hear a kid fall out of the top bunk and just, okay, they're crying, so they're, they're still alive. I'm going to just go back to sleep now, right? Yeah. You know, it's just different. You don't care. Where are your children? I'm not totally sure. You know. I've got four. So. But he's crazy right now. Like he's, he's, building a, he's building a white noise machine because the other ones that he found, he didn't think were going to protect the brain development of his child well enough. And so I just wish he were closer so I could make fun of him more and tease him because I've been there, right? I've been the first-time parent. And I, I love, in all seriousness, I, I love to tease him, but I, I love how gentle he is with this baby, with my little nephew. He's a parent. He, he loves his child. He's gentle. Do you love unbelievers? Do you love those who don't love God? Do you love those who don't love you? Paul tells us that our, our treatment of, of people with whom we're ministering is, is to be gentle. Our gentleness is to characterize that relationship. And I love what else he says as he describes this. He says, um, and I love verse 8. If you're going to memorize a verse on how to proclaim the gospel, memorize verse 8. Because we are so desirous of you, it's this double word, affectionately desirous of you in the ESV, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, we, we, didn't, we knew we needed to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, but that's not all we communicated. We also laid down our own selves. Why? Because you become very dear to us. Last weekend, Tony Moretta, speaking at the Orphan Care Conference, talked about something called countercultural hospitality. We live in a culture in which we're very consumed with ourselves and with our, our own you know, things that we, that we have. Our, our house is ours, our car is ours, our money is ours. And, and Tony exhorted us to practice countercultural hospitality, to understand that God has given us a home, not just to exist for ourselves, but to invite others into. It's countercultural. We invite in the widow, the orphan, the lost. And what you need to understand is if you are going to engage in genuine, authentic gospel proclamation, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It is going to cost you sometimes your health. It is going to cost you financially. It is going to cost you emotionally. And, and this is very, very important, as it costs you those things, you're not going to freak out about it. You're not going to say, yeah, I'm going to share the gospel with these people. It's going to cost me my time and my emotions and all this. <sighs> Bugs me. Oh. You're going to do it because you love them. You know, whenever your, your children wake up in the morning, you don't remind them, you guys are really expensive. You have no idea what you're costing me. You may mention it occasionally, <laughs> but for corrective reasons, <laughs> not because you're presenting them a bill. 
you know, when my, my children wake up and I'm, I'm seeing them spend time with them and I'm, or I'm seeing them doing an activity that costs me some money or something, I'm not seeing little dollar signs, right? I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing children whom I love who are dear to me. And I want to pour out my life to them and I want good things to happen to them. I, I want them to walk with the Lord. And, and here's how it is in relationship to the people in Thessalonica, Thessalonica and, and Paul. He says, you're dear to me. And I poured out my own life, and I, and I wasn't begrudging. I'm like, oh, these guys, these people in Thessalonica, they take so much out of me. He's like, oh, I love you. I love you. You're dear to me. If you do not love the people to whom you're ministering, you're not proclaiming the gospel as God has called you to. Genuine gospel proclamation is not self-serving, but sacrificial. Here's a fourth characteristic then. Genuine gospel proclamation is not passive, but industrious. It's not passive, but it's industrious. Verse 9, Paul says, look, brothers, you remember our labor and toil. Now, there's a little bit of a different structure here than there was in the first three characteristics, but the idea is the same. He's still saying not that, but this. And it's, it's not passive, it's not lazy, but it's industrious. He says, you remember our, our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, God too, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now, there's, there's two aspects of th- this, this ministry that he's calling their attention to. First of all, he's saying, you know we weren't lazy in, in a physical sense. You know we didn't just come to Thessalonica and, and lay back and say, well, we're going to let you guys kind of provide for us and and because we're so nice, we'll proclaim to you the gospel of God. No, he, he, he engages in ministry. He, he works hard, and there's a physical aspect to his labor. It, it costs him physically, he and Silas, as they engage in this ministry. Let me, uh, let me share with you a, a couple thoughts about verse 9 and, and physical labor and ministry. Sometimes people have come to this uh, verse, and they say, well, well, maybe as a person's a missionary— or a pastor, that's how everyone, maybe they shouldn't be supported financially. Maybe every pastor or missionary or a person engaged in ministry should, should work night and day. Okay. Let me share with you a couple of thoughts about this and about how it relates to how we who are givers and we who are receivers of, of God's gifts understand this, this whole process. No, number one, as I think about verse 9, understand this. The gospel is the ultimate priority, okay? The gospel is the ultimate priority. Whatever we do, we're doing in order to make sure the gospel is not maligned, is not spoken ill about, and we're making sure that whatever we're doing is, is able to proclaim the gospel to its fullness. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is our ultimate goal, whether we're giving or receiving or not giving or not receiving, the gospel's the goal. The second thought I would have here about verse 9 is, is, is this. Sometimes, because the, because the gospel is the ultimate goal, sometimes this means we refuse to receive gifts from those to whom we are ministering. Because the gospel is our ultimate ministry, there are times, or our ultimate goal, there are times in our ministry when we refuse to receive from those to whom we're ministering. For example, if, if this is a, uh, if, if this were earlier <laughs> in, the, in the morning, I could tell you, you know, 
if, if you're a first-time visitor, if this is not your church home, we don't ask you to, to give financially to this ministry. Some of you are thinking, why didn't you say that earlier when the plate was coming around? But, but our, goal, our goal is not to receive from those to whom we're ministering, that, who aren't part of our church family. Our, our goal is to give. Whenever we send a missionary to a new place, our goal isn't for the people who are in that place to be supporting their ministry. The, the goal is that we would be supporting that ministry, not the people to whom they're ministering at that point. A third thing that I would say as we, we look at this verse is that laziness is a barrier to the gospel. Laziness on the part of, of, a, a, of a believer is a barrier to the gospel. Laziness should have no part in the life of a Christian, especially those who are in leadership or those who are entrusted with the, a special ministry of gospel proclamation. Now, I love uh, joking about uh, my work schedule as, as much as the next person. You know, when, the, when I come in on Sunday mornings, I joke around with the ushers. They're like, here, would you like a bulletin so you know what you're talking about this morning? I'm like, yeah, thank goodness. I, I just, I don't have anything to talk about. And so, you know, I just kind of joke about, you know, I sleep all week. And, you know, I, that's funny right? if, if it's just a joke. <laughs> When it's not funny is when it's true. What's not funny is, is true laziness in missionary endeavors or in pastoral work or in the life of a believer. Laziness should have no part in the life of a believer because laziness is a barrier to gospel ministry. A fourth thing that we see here is that mature believers should support those who've been tasked with leading, proclaiming ministries. So even though the people in Thessalonica are not supporting the ministry, that doesn't mean that no one is supporting Paul's ministry. In fact, you come to Philippians chapter 4, and there's something very interesting. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble, those of you who are in Philippi. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of, of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so what do we see there? We see that even though Paul is in Thessalonica and didn't want to receive gifts from the Thessalonians, they weren't mature believers yet, he does receive gifts from those who are in Philippi because they are mature. So those of us who are mature believers, as we think about the, the task of missionary work, we have the joyous responsibility to be giving to those who are engaged in the work of missions, engaged in the ministry of gospel proclamation to support them as they minister to those who do not know the Lord or who are young in their faith. Why do we do that? Because the gospel is paramount. We love the lost and we love the Lord Jesus. And a fifth thing that I think about when I think about this verse is that what we see here. What we see here is that also, also there's, there's ministry burnout that can occur as we labor in the flesh and not the spirit. So often, a person may come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and come to verse 9 and say, man, I need to work night and day because I don't want to burden a person. And there are times when, a, when all of us are going to be engaged in ministry night and day, but there are also times whenever we might be tempted to do that, but not for the right reasons. 
the ministry we engage in, we engage in by the equipping of the Spirit, doing the things God has called us to do, not legalistically uh, endeavoring to take on more than we have the ability to do. Okay, so Paul says, look, genuine gospel proclamation isn't passive. First of all, it's not passive when it comes to work. We become hard workers. Secondly, it's not passive when it comes to our spiritual lives. Look again at the text. He says, you remember not just our, our physical toil, but verse 10, your witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. And those words, holy, righteous, blameless, all, all describe this, this process of, of pursuing righteousness and, and godliness. No one can criticize Paul when they observe his behavior. He's diligent. He's like the, the, famous, the famous musician who was complimented because of his, his incredible ability. And he said, uh, Madam, before I was a genius, I was a drudge. In other words, there was labor, there was, there was hard work that went into perfecting his musical ability, and the same is true for those of us who are believers. We, we pursue diligently righteous conduct and righteousness by God's grace. Okay, so it's not passive, it's not lazy, but it's industrious. And, and here's the, the industry we see Paul engaged in. We see him, as you look at verses 11 and 12, we see him engaged in the industrious action of, of making disciples. You know how, he says in verse 11, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So what Paul is engaging in here is, is the hard work of discipleship, just like a, a dad sits down and, and disciples and, and instructs his children and, and trains his children. Paul says, my task was to be industrious among you, understanding that the Christian life is not just something you kind of catch in the air by being around other Christians, but it requires a person to do these, this, this hard work of gospel proclamation in your life. I exhorted you, I encouraged you, I charged you. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Because Paul loves these believers in Thessalonica so much, he's willing to lay down his life and engage in that very difficult ministry of gospel proclamation and discipleship in their lives. That brings us to the last characteristic, and I just want to touch on a couple of verses here. The last characteristic of genuine gospel proclamation. Genuine gospel proclamation is not temporary, but eternal. It's not temporary, but eternal. Paul didn't come into Thessalonica and say, you know what, um, I, I, just want, I just want to focus on some external behaviors here. <laughs> I just want to kind of make you guys better with your finances, or I, I want to make your marriages a little bit better, so I'm going to give you some marriage principles, or I want you to be nicer to your mom and dad, so I'm just going to kind of teach you some things about how to be nice to people. And I said, I'm going to engage in, in helping you know who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to proclaim to you the gospel of God. I want there to be heart transformation. And, and then I'm going to engage, in, in, because I love you so much, in, in teaching what it looks like to, to walk in all areas of life with, with a transformed heart. And then we come to the very end of the chapter, and, and he describes why this is so important. He says, for our what is our hope or joy or ground of, crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Every single one of us in here, 
will someday have to give an account before God as to how we've lived our lives. And we know that we are saved by God's grace alone as we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. That, that's all that we cannot work to earn our salvation. That's all we must do is to, to trust upon Christ's finish, on Christ on the basis of his finished work on the cross. That's all we must do to be saved. But the genuine believer is going to have a desire to rejoice at Christ's return. And the believer must understand this. A crucial part of rejoicing at Christ's return means that we've understood that we have this this ministry of gospel proclamation. I've been called by God, charged by God, not to just live the Christian life by myself, not just to come in the doors of this theater and sit down and then leave and then come back next week. But I've been called by God to be engaged in gospel proclamation. That means not just living nice around you. It means not just throwing some truth at you. It means that I lay down my life for others because I love them so much as I proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That must be true of my life. It must be true of yours as well. If you are going to rejoice at Christ's return, understanding that you've invested your life in things that have eternal value, not just temporary value. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the life that we have in him. We pray that we'd be faithful to live according to that. We thank you for those men and women you've given to our church to be charged with the task of proclaiming your gospel to others. Help them to, be continue, help them to continue to be faithful in that task. We pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.